Let us pray. God, we love you so much. And as we dig through numbers, Lord, there's a lot of rules and there's a lot of regulations and there's a lot of stuff It just feels like in the weeds. And Father, as we go through that, you get a sense of, I don't know, the Jewish religion. You get a sense of why they viewed the law so seriously. You get a sense of how seriously they took it. And they took it seriously because you gave it to them, Lord. Yahweh says, man, and they followed it as hard as much as they could, especially during the time of Jesus, especially during the time, oh, by the Sinai, after you'd just given them the law. They were working on the things that you said and you put into place because they trusted you as their God, because they loved you as their God. And they knew that if you asked them to do something, it was for their good. Father, I just pray that we would look at your law in the same way in New Testament times, today in 2020, that we'd see in your law a way of protection, in your law a way of safety, in your law, your law the best way forward for us as we go through life. And Father, we're human and so we mess it up all the time and so while we don't rejoice in the law, though maybe we should, we rejoice in the forgiveness that you give us. That every time you blow it, every time I blow it, there's forgiveness and there's strengthening to go out and face life again. Father, remind us of that forgiveness in Jesus' day and all God's people said. So today I'm going to kind of uh, I'm going to go through it a little bit differently than I normally do. We're, we're in the middle of some housekeeping in, in Numbers. Uh, they're sitting on this, the banks of Sinai, right? They've been there for about a year. God's going to them again and says, okay, here's some last-minute things I just want you to know. I want you to put in place. Some of it is just for organization's sake. Some of it's just because I just want to remind you of some stuff. And he goes through the next few chapters just giving us some, some housekeeping things. And so I'm going to pick up in chapter 7, verse 89, just very quickly. And it says, And when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord... He heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, and it spoke to him. You ever wonder where the, where the tent of meeting is? It's the tabernacle. You ever wonder where Moses went and hung out with God? It was in the holy of holy place. He got to face God mano a mano, right? He got to hear his voice. He got to experience God's wisdom, his, his direction, his counsel over and over and over again. And because he was in the presence of God, remember he would come out and his face would be glowing, so they'd put, put a veil over his face because the people said, no, no, that's too much, you know. We, we like to pretend that he's not that real, you know. So put the veil on so you can be our mediator with God. So God again is coming to his people and he says, okay, this is some important stuff to you. I want you to pay attention. And then we're going to go through some housekeeping real quickly. So in, chapters, in chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, he's talking about the seven lamps. And the whole gist of this section is, I want you to put it in the holy, in the holy place. And I want you to lighten up the curtain of the Holy of Holies. I want you, everybody to know that that's where God speaks. That's where God does his thing. That's what we want to lighten up in this place. We want his seat. He want his, well, it's actually a curtain. That's all I can see. But we want him to be enlightened because he is the light for us. He is our guide, our director, all those different things. And then he goes on in verse 5 through 22. And this is the portion where he's just saying, okay, remember I've been talking about this already, but I'm going to take the Levites because they've been so faithful to me. And I'm going to take them in place of all the firstborn of, of, Egypt, or of Israel. Remember when the Passover happened and got passed over? Everybody who had the blood that was on the side of the doors. And so all the Israelites did that because God commanded and they were safe and nobody died. But all the Egyptians, they didn't have the blood of the lamb on the side of the door. What happened? Took all the firstborn all over Egypt. And there was incredible wailing. 
In that moment, God says, I just bought all the firstborn of Israel. And not only am I your God, but I am your God to the place where your firstborn now belong to me. And the idea was, I want them to serve me. I want them to, to serve me as ministers. I want them to be, you know, my connection to the rest of you kind of thing. I want the firstborn animals to be sacrificed to me for your sin, right? As a, as a fragrant incense to me, knowing that you are repentant and that you're sorry and that you want to follow me. All those different things. But at this point, he's kind of doing some organizational things, and he says, because of their faithfulness, I, I just want to take the Levites and have them be my ministers before you guys. There's already the priests. Levites would serve in a secondary capacity. They would help the, the priests do their business in terms of the stuff in the tabernacle. Uh, they would serve as guards. They would serve as assistants. They would serve in a whole bunch of different capacities within the temple. Um, and they would also be the transporters of the temple st- or the tabernacle every single time they moved it. Okay, so in verses five through twenty-two, they start with the cleansing of the Levites, and that's kind of think baptism a little bit, without the promise of the Holy Spirit or Jesus. But it was a cleansing them from all their impurities. And so remember, being clean or unclean was a big thing in Israel. And so they were just saying, hey, we're going to start by making you clean. We're going to wash away the impurities, all the things that would make you unclean, all the things, all the things that, it wasn't forgiveness necessarily, but it was all, we're just going to cleanse you and make you right before God. And then they went and they started sacrificing. They actually brought a bull for it. It was the... Uh, it was the burnt offering, and they made atonement for these priests. So what, now that we've cleansed you outwardly, we're going to cleanse you inwardly by the forgiveness of sins. You will be right and perfect before God as we take you in in place of the firstborn of Israel. And that's what they did. And so, again, I shared with you what they went, they did. Um, it's kind of th- cool, too. It, it goes into quite detail on this as well. But it even talks about how long he wants them to serve. Uh, Levites were actually went into service at about age 25. If you were a Hebrew male, you went into, and you were a Levite, you went into service at age 25. You'd serve as an apprentice for five years, and from 30 to 50, you served in the temple. Once you hit 50, an old guy like me, right, you're booted out from helping in the in actual service of the temple, but you could be a guard. So they had the old crew, you know, guarding the temple and doing different things, and maybe helping from the outside, you know more, you know, hey, move this over there, you know, more management style kind of people, you know, but they, they wouldn't let them serve anymore in the temple because of fear of, of I, I don't know what the reason is, other than God says, after you hit 50, I want you to kind of go into a quasi-retirement, and you can be a wisdom giver now, you can be a guard, you can kind of help from the outside, but no longer in the temple. It kind of makes sense, though. God wants the best of the best always, doesn't he? He wants the, the best of our, our gifts, and that's the whole idea of tithing, to put him first in all the blessings, all the gifts that God's given us. And it's not just uh, financial gifts, right? But it's also the best of our talents. I mean, we have a pray- One of the things that amazes me about the praise team, I mean, these guys serve every single week, don't they? And, and they, not only do they show up on Sunday, some for sometimes two and three services spread out throughout the day, do an extra rehearsal on Saturday, even before the Saturday service. They show up on Tuesday and, and they rehearse. So they're here all the time during the week, and they love it. They love giving their gifts to the Lord. They love singing praises to God. They love seeing your faces when you sing with them, or when you actually can't see any of your faces right now, but when you're clapping or when you're showing joy, because they know God's using it powerfully in the lives of people. But it's something that they give as an act of service, and they love doing it. All right, so the Levites were taken as God's sort of ministers before him. You then move on to chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. And as Mike talked about, 
Uh, the Passover, God says, I want you to remember, I need you to celebrate this. I need you to remember this event. This is when I claimed you as my people. This is when I saved you from Egypt. Every year until Jesus comes, right? The Messiah comes. I want you to celebrate this, remembering what I did for you on that day. And then he goes on and gives a little housekeeping. If you're on a vacation or if you're unclean because somebody passed away in, in your family, don't worry, we're going to set up a second Passover for you specifically. And on that, about a month later, you'll be able to come and you'll be able to have Passover with me during that time. So you had the regular Passover where most people did it, and then there was like a secondary Passover if you had those other things that were going on. But he wanted to make sure everybody knew you could celebrate this incredible day of remembrance to the Lord every single year. And then he went on in verse, uh, let's see, chapter 9, verse 15 through 23. And he's basically just talking in this section about the cloud. Now the cloud is a special thing, right? It's been with them ever since they left Egypt. It's a cloud, pillar of fire on one side, pillar of cloud on the other side. It's the thing that they're following. God has said, follow this all the way through this adventure that I'm going to take you on. So they followed it out of Egypt. They followed it all the way through the desert, even to the Dead Sea where they're thinking... This isn't a very good spot. God, why did you pick here? We're trapped on all sides. And then God opened up the Red Sea and God showed his power and his might yet again. As if them, how they lost that because of the ten plagues or the fact that there was a pillar of fire and cloud right before them. He opens up the Red Sea, they walk through. They follow it all the way through that sea, all the way to Mount Sinai where God gives them the law. Remember the mountain lights up on fire. God, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Again, showing his power, showing how real he is, showing that he cares all the way through this time. But the pillar of cloud and fire has been there the entire time. And they just said, God says, All right, now we're going to move on from Sinai. This might be tricky, but he says, when the cloud moves, you move. Sometimes it will be there a couple days. Sometimes it will be there overnight. Sometimes it will be there for several weeks, maybe even a month. But when the cloud moves, I need you guys to move. Now, how many of you guys like moving? Anybody? Love putting things in boxes. Love lugging that to a truck or whatever. Love going through all the process of doing that. And then getting to unpack all of it. It just sounds awesome, doesn't it? Now imagine, God says, follow me. All right, you got your U-Haul and everything right there. You just kind of park it next to your tent because you know you're going all the time. And you don't know how long you're going to be there. Is it overnight this time, God? Is it, is it going to be a couple weeks? Is it going to be a month this time? We liked it when you kind of stayed a month and we kind of relaxed a little bit. I mean, it was good. But they all wanted to go to the promised land. That was kind of the thing. So they were ready. And what's so remarkable about this, because we all hate to move, is they were obedient every single time. I mean, to be fair, it is a pillar of fire and cloud. You're pretty sure God's using that to tell you where to go. You've been told that. You don't want to disobey the cloud kind of thing, especially since God was so clear about it. But every single time it moved, whether it was overnight or several months, they picked up, packed up everything, packed up the tabernacle, you imagine putting that up in one day, right? And then all of a sudden, God says, okay, we're moving tomorrow. You're like, oh. But they did it every single time. They were obedient to God's call every single time. Now, as you've been listening so far to all the stuff prior and to some of the stuff today, God gives a lot of rules, doesn't he? And he's pretty specific about how we want certain things done. And what's remarkable up to this point, 
I mean, since Sinai, and we're going to pretend the golden calf thing didn't happen, right? But since Sinai, they've been obedient to God's calling. They've been obedient to trying to follow his rules. And most of them have to do with the priests or the Levites so far, to be fair. But every time the cloud went, they went. What happens if you were unclean for both the Passovers? I guess you just missed it, right? You just missed it that year for whatever reason. It was just your unlucky time. Um, but here's the thing. If you didn't meet one of those two requirements, on vacation or unclean because of a death, then you were cut off from the people of Israel. It was a sign of rebellion against God that you wouldn't celebrate something he told you to celebrate. And God was pretty serious about that. Usually cut off meant they were killed, but in this case it seems maybe they were just excommunicated or they were just no longer part of the people of Israel. But whatever it was, it was a very serious consequence to something that would have been viewed by all as rebellion against God. Why won't you celebrate what he did when he took us out of Egypt? Why won't you celebrate the fact that he's brought us this far on the way to the promised land? Why would you rebel against God? We don't look at Christmas or Easter quite the same, do we? But it is a time to thank God for his amazingness, right? For either sending his son or having his son die and rise again. They're really holidays that we should celebrate in, in times of just remembrance, in times of being thankful for all that God has done for us. But we wouldn't view it as being excommunicated if we didn't do it. And that's how God, how seriously God took the Passover. And he just wanted to share that before they got going, before they got going on the journey, he wanted to reemphasize how important this was. Okay, so the cloud moving. Then we go to chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. And it's all about making of these two silver trumpets. And the silver trumpets were to be used by the priests alone to indicate God was doing something in their midst. And one of the things that they'd use the trumpets for, they'd blow two trumpets, right? If they were to summon all of Israel to come for a special sacred assembly. So when the tabernacle was raised, when the priesthood was formed, when the Levites, every time there was a sacred assembly, the two horns, silver horns would be blown and everybody would know, hey, it's time to go. If they were just calling the heads of the clans, I guess for a business meeting or a clan meeting or whatever it is, right? They would just do one of those silver, silver horns and they would blow it. And they would come and they would meet with Moses and Aaron and they would find out what God was going to do next, right? And it was kind of a planning session. And then the last thing they would do is they would be used to signal every single time they moved. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago how each of the tribes of Israel kind of formed in these these groups of three. So there's four groups of three, three on one side of the tabernacle, all the way around. And so the horn was blown for each set of three to begin the journey. So it would start with a forward guard, and, and that's, that was blown, and they would head on out. And then the blowing again, and the second group would head on out, and the third. And you've got to imagine, they're, they're moving two million people, so it takes a while for each group to go. But God says, this is the way I want you to organize. This is the way I want you to leave. This is who leaves first. This is who leaves second. And it goes all the way through that process. And then you get to verse 11, and it is Israel finally taking off for the promised land. And everybody's so excited. This was to provide an orderly departure for all of Israel. And again, I kind of mentioned it already, but the forward guard that was led by Judah, that group of three, it would always go first. Judah was the leader. He would lead the way, right? And after they got those three tribes to go with them, they would send the, the Gershonites and the Merarites, the guys who carried the poles and the coverings of the tabernacle. So during all this, they're tearing the thing down, putting it on carts, right? And they're following that forward guard. And then another guard led by Reuben leaves. And so 
kind of you think of the southern guard or whatever they would follow and then the people the priests and the in the in the koholites the ones that were carrying the sacred things then they would leave following that next group now what's kind of cool about that is you get the first group going and then you got all the people carrying the tabernacle so by the time the priests got there with all the holy things this was probably already put up right the tabernacle was probably already in place and so there was wisdom to this and then you got the last two guards that would follow up in succession. Each one at the departure of one of the this horn blasts that would send them out. All right, so there we get to chapter verse 28 of chapter 10, where I'm going to pick up. Because this is where it starts actually getting a little bit interesting. It says, this was the order of march of the people of Israel by their companies when they set out. And Moses said to Hobab and the son of Rule, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, Hey, we're setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will do good to you. For the Lord has promised good to Israel. So Moses is excited. He knows God's going to provide the promised land. They've already seen God do so much. They've been blown away by his power. They've been blown away by his care. They've also been blown away a little bit by how serious he is about stuff. And they're so excited they're finally going to get what God's promised to Abraham way back in the day. They said, man, you got to come with. I mean, this is going to be awesome. You're going to be blessed because anybody in connection with us right now is going to be blessed by God. This is going to be amazing. you got to come. But as he gives that, he says, but he said to him, I will not go. I will not depart to my own, but I, I will depart to my own land and to my own kindred. And he said, please do not leave us, Moses did, for you know where we should camp in the wilderness and you will serve as eyes for us. If you do, do go with us, whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same will do, we will do to you. So they set out from the mount of the Lord, three days' journey. So he's talking to his father-in-law and that, and that family unit that comes along with it, the family that he spent so much time with, right, when he ran away from Egypt and hiding from the Pharaoh because he had killed that Egyptian. And he says, you got to stay with us. You guys are desert dwellers. You kind of know this, this scene. We're following the cloud, right? But you can tell where there's water. We don't have a sense of that. You can kind of tell if this area is kind of bubbling up underneath or, or, or what the, the signs are of where we might find food. I mean, you just know this stuff. And it will be such a help if you come with us. Plus, we're kin. And I want you to experience this blessing with us. It's going to be awesome. History records in Joshua that they did end up going with Moses. And they were with him the entire time. Okay, so they set out from the Mount of the Lord three days' journey. So I want you to get in the picture. They've been at Sinai for over a year. They're heading out three days, man. They've, three days. I want you to think about how long that is in your life. It's like a weekend, a long weekend. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And so here's a cool thing, too. The Ark of the Covenant, God's mercy seat, led everybody in the procession it was the front guard in front of the front guard it was leading the procession when israel would go to war they would do the same thing they bring the ark of the covenant and would lead the way as a sign that god was leading them that he was the general all of those different things and whenever the ark set out moses said arise O lord and let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee before you and when it rested he said return O lord to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. And so it was a blessing that the Moses prophesied. When it would set out, it would say, we have the God of all power in the universe. We have the God who has granted us to be his people. He will fight for us. He can do anything. Nothing is impossible with God. And isn't that something we need to remember as we go through life? 
I mean, there's times where we feel so helpless, so hopeless about things that are going on in our life. There's times that we fear or get anxious over different things that we can't control. Times that we worry about relationships or about our kids or about finances. There's so many things that we worry about that are beyond our control. God says, I want you to stop doing that. Worrying doesn't do any good. It's like rocking in a rocking chair. A lot of action, but you don't go anywhere. He says, I want you to give it to me. Because is anything impossible for me? No. He would say, is my arm too short? No, you could do anything, God. I don't know why it is that we give up on God so soon. First sign of crisis. Oh, he didn't answer our initial prayer. He must not be coming through. And we start thinking we have to take over. Don't you get God's working behind the scenes? He's promising, I'm always working. And I'm working things for the good of those who love me. I tell you, we all experience different times in life. If you look back, if you're at any age at all, you can look back and see how God's protected you and guided you throughout all the years. Sometimes disciplined you, right? I look at my 20s and I was dumped, I was dumped, I was dumped, 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 right? But it was all to lead me to Beth eventually. And in retrospect, I'm so glad that none of those worked out because she's better for me than they were, right? It would have been a lot harder with them. But God knew what I needed and he was working, Somehow he kept her single long enough, right, to bump into me. It was amazing. I still think, I, I, I get blown away by God's grace in that. But God's always working. And whether it's a spouse down the line or, or, or plans for your kids, finances, health, God is always working. And we just need to trust that. And it gives us peace in the midst of the storm. And it doesn't always go the way we plan, right? He's not a vending machine. He's the perfect dad. But we know that if he goes a different way, that somehow it's going to be better for us. You think about even, I'm teaching Revelations in the morning uh, on Wednesdays, but you even think about that, you think, well, that doesn't look very good if you're a Christian, right? It gets from bad to worse to worse, and, and, and he postpones, and he postpones his coming, he postpones that final judgment, all for the hope of bringing people into the kingdom. But what's God's plan what, that is good for his Christians in the midst of even that kind of setting? Remember, if you're in the class in heaven, they're rejoicing at every new saint that comes in. It's a party up there. Hey, you made it. Great. And they have a celebration. They're so pumped up. Every time one of us gets up, they're so pumped. They're so excited. If we keep heaven in our view, somewhere in our mind, it would make the adversity and the difficulty of life easier to bear. Because this is in our home, heaven is. For all of eternity, heaven is. So anyway, they're out there three days. And then he says, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousands and thousands of Israel. Be our, be our protection, be our rear guard, be the one that walks with us. Okay, now, the reason I keep wanting you to remember three days is because after three days, now, they had to hike. We just hiked the Grand... We hiked a very small part of the Grand Canyon the other day. I was just showing my girls. Emmy walked further down than the rest of them did with me. But the reality is... Hiking back up was a lot harder at 50 than it was at, you know, 20 or whatever the last time it was I did that. But anyway, they'd hiked for three days, so maybe they were tired and, and, and sweaty and, and they'd been putting things up and whatever the deal, okay? And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when they heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. 
So here they are. It's been three days of walking. They'd been there for a year. I mean, they had things set up. I mean, it was kind of comfy. It was in the middle of the desert. It wasn't paradise, to be sure. They knew they were going to paradise. But now they have to walk through the desert for three days. I don't know if they had blisters. I don't know if they were just uncomfortable. Maybe they had sores. I don't know what the deal was. But whatever the misfortunes it talks about, they began to complain against the Lord. Now, anybody... If you have kids, think about your last vacation that you took. You're so excited. I don't know if you're going to Disneyland or, or, or camping or, or whatever, but you're excited for your family. Finally, some time away, just you and the missus and your kids. and Man, you're pumped up. This is going to be awesome. And you do all this planning and do all this preparation. You're spending all this money so that we can do this, right? And what are your kids doing? Oh, are we there yet? This is taking so long. I can't take my iPad. What's up with that? There's no internet in the woods. I don't know. You know. And they're all frustrated about this or this or this. And they're missing the big picture. Okay. God's taken them to the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. The, the promise that he made to Abraham back in the day. Three days in. Oh, this is so hard. And they begin grumbling, not just to themselves, but against the Lord. And don't we do that too? Things get a little hard. Things don't go exactly the way we want them to. And we're saying, what's up, God? Why didn't you answer this prayer? The way I prayed it, exactly the way I prayed it. Why is this so hard right now? Why aren't you giving me relief? I mean, it's been three days. And we start getting frustrated with the Lord because he's not doing things according to our plan. He's doing things according to his. And even though we know he's working things for our good, even though we know he's trying to bless our lives, we get so caught up in the moments. And we lose sight of heaven. We lose sight of his promises. We lose sight of how much he cares and loves us. We even lose sight of how he's providing. By the way, during these three days, what were they eating? (laughs) Manna from heaven. Who are they following? A pillar of fire and cloud. Who was Moses talking to? God himself. Here's the other thing that we'll learn. Their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. My kids' shoes wear out in an afternoon. But not them. They had 40 years worth of tread on those shoes. It was amazing. Their clothes didn't wear out. (laughs) They just looted Egypt. They still have all that stuff, right? The stuff they didn't donate to the temple. I mean, it's or the tabernacle. It's still theirs. They still have the gold. They still have the wealth. They still have the the the, the animals that they took. They, they still have all of it. They don't see any of that though. This is hard. How long are we there yet? You know, all those questions. And God got mad, just like maybe sometimes parents get a little frustrated. So then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord. And the fire died down. My dad had this amazing way. I I don't know if it was the way the car was built or what, but if I was doing something bad when I was little, he could whip his hand around and grab my leg. And man, all of a sudden I knew I just needed to change my attitude, right? Right then and there. I I just knew it. Well, I I promise you, I always deserved it. Do I understand that? Like I always knew why I was being punished. I was a challenging kid. Let's just put it that way, okay? But here's the deal. God got upset with them. Do you not see what I'm doing? I I, I thought it was pretty clear. We're going to the promised land. I'm not going to zap you there. I could, but I I want you to go through this journey to get there. It's going to be fine. You're going to be provided for. Everything's taken care of. 
I just need you to trust me. But they couldn't. So God disciplines them, sends a fire around the camp. Doesn't say that anybody died in this case, but it consumed some of their stuff for sure. Got their attention for sure. And they cried out to the Lord because immediately they knew, whoops, Dad wasn't happy. God wasn't happy, right? And so they cried out to Moses and Moses prayed again and God took away the fire. So the name of that place was called Taborah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now, the rabble that was among them, the rabble would be the non-Israelites that kind of came along for the party, okay? I guess we're going to get to that next week. But the rabble is always going to be the ones that came along from the party. The, the, the Egyptians that came with them, the people from other countries that saw what God was doing, wanted to be part of what God was going to bless Israel with. And so we'll pick up there in verse 4 next week. But it's finally getting exciting because they're finally off to the promised land. And if you look at numbers, I just want you to think of writing your own diary, Dear diary, I was an idiot today, and this is what happened. Or, dear diary, this most amazing thing happened today, and then you write all sorts of stuff about it. It's filled with the good, it's filled with the bad, it's filled with all sorts of things. As we look at the rest of Numbers, it's like any one of our diaries, if we were honest. It's filled with amazing things that we've seen God do, blessings that he's given on our life, and it's filled with all the dumb stuff that we did and the consequences that we faced as a result so it's filled with the good and the bad and the ugly. And as you read through it, you feel like it's happening in an afternoon and you keep saying, why don't they get it? I don't understand. But God probably looks at us and says the same thing in different areas. Why aren't you getting it yet? Why, why don't you understand? And so is the coolness of the rest of numbers. We've gone through the housekeeping piece now and now it's time for the journey. So let me pray. God, we love you so much and we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, as we go through numbers, at least this first part, it's hard to know how that applies to our life a lot of times. But I guess in a sense, it's just about obedience. Do we trust you enough to follow? I mean, that's always the struggle, isn't it? Do we trust that when you say something, it's for our good? Do we trust that when you say something, it's shared out of love and concern for us? Do we trust that it's the best way forward? Do we trust that it protects us as we walk through life? Do we trust that it's the best way? Over and over and over, you try to emphasize how much you love us, how much you care. You even sent Jesus to die, your own son to die for us on the cross and then be risen again so that we could be forgiven. There's nothing that you haven't done to show us how much we matter to you, how much we, we are cared by you. So, Father, our prayer tonight is that you would help us trust more and more and more. That we could put our family in your hands. That means our spouses, our kids. We could put our finances in your hands. That means the day-to-day and the retirement. That we could put our future in your hands and not worry so much about tomorrow. That we could put our health in your hands, knowing that if it's not time to take us, you're going to heal us. That we could put all our worries in your hands, trusting that your ways are the right ways, the best ways. Father, that's the hard part of being a disciple. It's the hard part of following you. And we rejoice because of Jesus' forgiveness. But can you just imagine life if we could take away the dumb things that we've said, the dumb actions that we've done? the consequences that flow from them. Can you imagine how different our life would be if we just trusted on the front end? And then 
if you could take away all the sins people have done to us, then you'd get a glimpse of heaven. Father, let us trust you more as we go through life today, even when we don't always understand. And we pray that today, knowing that you hear us, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.